and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a Scranton girl. Today we're sitting down with Julia Teruso and Jonathan Tamari from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Last Sunday, they were not kicking back and relaxing. They were racking up hundreds of road miles and providing great reporting on the Democratic Senate primary. I'm looking forward to sitting down with them to get a sense of what they took away from the debate at Muhlenberg and the impromptu event that Lieutenant Governor Fetterman's campaign had in Franklin County. I'm also hoping that I might convince them to give a preview of the debate that the Inquirer is co-hosting later this month at Dickinson College. Julia Teresa and Jonathan Tamari, welcome to my kitchen table. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Thank you. Okay, so in the last few days, you guys have put on uh, some serious road miles. Julia, you went from Philadelphia up to Allentown, and Jonathan, you went from Washington up to uh, Franklin County. So uh, ladies first, Julia, tell us about uh, your fun Sunday in a rainy Allentown. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, despite the rain, it felt good to feel like, you know, campaign season is really kicking into gear. And I would say that's that's kind of what the whole day felt like. I mean, obviously, I was headed to a debate with two of the three main candidates in the Senate race. But uh, I would say the the whole day kind of felt, as we expected, like a, a new chapter in this the Senate Democratic primary. Connor Lamb and Malcolm Kenyatta were more so Lamb, but um, hurling a lot of direct attacks at Fetterman that we have not yet seen in the race. I think we knew it was coming, but it was it was certainly a pretty active and even exciting debate for for just two of them being up there. So Jonathan, that's the, you know, as the crow flies, it's not very far from Washington, D.C., where you live to Franklin County, but it's really like a world apart. So uh, how was your afternoon? Yeah. So while the debate was happening, John Fetterman was having an event at the exact same time, starting three, ending at 430, exactly overlapping with the debate. And so that it it was in Chambersburg in Franklin County at that time. That's about as close to D.C. as you can get while still being within Pennsylvania. So not too bad bad of a drive and a really beautiful drive. But you certainly get out of the district and and out of the suburbs and you're into much more rural part of Maryland and rural part of Pennsylvania. Lots of agriculture, lots of orchards out there in, in Franklin County. And Fetterman had an event that seemed like, you know, a typical political event. He made no mention of the debate. He made no mention of the attacks that were probably coming his way. He was at this really kind of quaint looking B&B, it seemed like, uh, on on Ragged Edge Road. And uh, he had around 100 people, mostly supporters there. And, and he talked about $15 minimum wage. He talked about legalized marijuana. You know, he was in his gym shorts. And, and it was a very typical campaign event of him kind of going to a very deep red part of Pennsylvania, Franklin County, you know, voted more than 70% for Donald Trump in 2020. And Federer's pitch there was that, you know, even though it's mostly he's not going to turn it blue, that he needs to get every vote he can. And that includes Democrats in rural areas and not just the big cities. And and that was kind of the, the focus of his entire swing that day. 
So I'm curious, I'm open listeners to be curious, a question for the both of you. Did you have a chance to, to talk uh, with just kind of everyday people who were there, you know, voters, uh, partisan activists who were there? And if so, what did you hear? And then I've got a follow-up question also, I think, since we have a lot of operatives and staffers who listen to uh, this podcast, you know, if you can give a little color of how these campaigns travel, is it one vehicle, is it multiple vehicles, so they even at the point that they have an advanced team. But if you got any of that at both of these uh, stops, I think um, folks would be really interested. Well, in Allentown, I would say, you know, the empty podium on stage was something everybody in the audience noticed. It was like, kind of a a running joke between the audience and Fetterman and Kenyatta. I mean, at one point we actually lost power briefly and someone in the audience like yelled out Fetterman, you know, as, as if like he was just this kind of, he was, his absence was a constant presence. And when I did chat with some voters afterward, they had heard attacks hurled at Fetterman all afternoon. So I'm not sure this is a great surprise, but I talked to several voters who said they went in leaning toward Fetterman and left, you know, leaning toward Lamb or Kenyatta. I actually talked to one woman who had a Fetterman sticker on her phone and, you know, at the end of the debate wound up taking a picture with Lamb with the phone and sort of made a comment like, you know, sorry about that or something. So, you know, in that very extremely limited sample of people who did hear from Lamb and Kenyatta making their case and kind of like making the case against Fetterman, there were certainly individuals in that room who who bought what they were what they were selling. Also, you know, it's Muhlenberg, it's a college campus. I was sitting next to one of the editors of the their student newspaper and you know, she, she was telling me that the students that are engaged are despite Fetterman's absence, she senses a, a they lean toward Fetterman or Kenyatta, you know, again, in her like politically engaged student circles. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And uh, yeah, I, you know, it was a, obviously a very different response over at the Fetterman event in, in Chambersburg. These were folks who were largely Fetterman supporters to begin with. Lots of them had Fetterman stickers or T-shirts on when they showed up. As far as you asked about, you know, the the arrival, there was staff, but there wasn't a huge amount of staff. I was inside when he arrived, so I don't know, you know, exactly how many cars he's traveling in. But it was, you know, he came in, he just, there was no kind of warm-up act, no nothing. He just kind of came in, people cheered for him as he entered the room, and and he went right into, you know, his 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 talk and his, his pitch for, for his own candidacy. And these voters... You know, I asked a lot of them about what they thought of Fetterman and, you know, we get caught up in who's progressive, who's moderate, you know, where they fit in the democratic spectrum. But honestly, the people I talked to, none of them mentioned policy. None of them mentioned ideology, at least not at first. The first thing they all mentioned was that they felt like he was a real person in their view, that he was not a phony in their view and and wouldn't lie to them. And that was the thing that really showed kind of what about Fetterman resonates with his supporters and how, you know, personality and if people feel like they can trust a candidate can really outweigh a lot of the other factors that that go into to politics and into campaigning. Good stuff. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, it's always a strategic decision uh, inside a campaign headquarters to whether or not to open up an event to the press. And this bed and breakfast that you're describing and the images uh, that we saw on, on Twitter and elsewhere and in, in your reporting, was it just you or were there others who came all the way up from Washington or, or elsewhere? So it was just because me that, that isn't event. very common thus far at, at events with the lieutenant governor. 
Yes. And, you know, Julie and I have written about this in our newsletter and we've written about it. You know, we've written a news story about it, that the lieutenant governor is the front runner and he's not always the most accessible candidate. His campaign does not widely promote his events before they happen. They widely promote the events after the fact, but they do not, you know, blast out a press release that says John Fetterman will be at this location at this time on Thursday. Generally not. But he did say he was going to be in Franklin County. We found the information. It is posted if you know where to look. Again, it's, just, it's not promoted, but if you know where to look, you can find it. And to their credit, when I said I was going, they said, okay, we'll make time with the lieutenant governor for you. And they did. They gave me time to sit down and talk to him. So credit there. But I believe I was the only reporter in the room. I saw one other person with a notebook. So maybe he was local press, but it was not a big media crowd there at all. It was... Aimed, this was aimed at voters, I believe. And so, uh, you know, I got some time with him. I know he spoke with the Washington Post a little later in the day at another event, but I don't think there is generally a ton of press along with these events. It's not being broadcast widely to where all reporters in DC and Pennsylvania know where he is. It kind of has to be, if you want to go find him, you can try to find him and, and get some time with him. And it's often the local media that's there as opposed to the national or the kind of bigger regional part papers in and news outlets in Pennsylvania. And, and Julia, on Sunday uh, at the Muhlenberg College, there there were reporters who trekked across the state from Pittsburgh and uh, up from Washington. Um, you know what? I'm just curious. What I mean, what what is that like? As you all are in the back, I mean, you you all have a slightly different angle, and you're trying to get maybe different sound bites and perspectives. Uh, so maybe there's a healthy competition, or maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm not a reporter, so. <laughs> Well, I, th- I think it was another moment where we all kind of looked around and said, okay, yeah, it's it's 40 days until the primary, you know, and, and it's always neat. I covered the 2020 election, you know, Pennsylvania's role in it, but when it's your home state that has the election and you're seeing kind of national attention coming in, that's always neat. It, no, the, the press section was very cordial. A lot of people saying hi who hadn't seen each other in, you know, months and months. And I think, I mean, I I read some of the other write-ups about the debate, and I think we varied a little bit in how much we focused on the the attacks and on the Lamb and Kenyatta bringing up the 2013 jogger incident. But on the whole, it seemed like, you know, we all recognized that that was a real pivot in the race and that that was kind of the, the most newsworthy thing to come out of that debate is this this shift in tone. And and like I mentioned earlier, some of those voters who said they were second guessing Fetterman, they they cited specifically fears about his electability and fears about, you know, will that incident keep black voters at home, keep female voters at home? So again, at least in that very controls <laughs> or not very controlled experiment, um, it seemed to be resonating with some people. You know, I should have asked you both early on, as Julia, you alluded to 2020, and, and Jonathan, I know you did a really uh, unique work in the 2016 Senate race, but maybe we could just take a step back and give listeners a sense of your background and how you both uh, are, you know, uh, having so much fun on this uh, campaign cycle with all the twists and turns. So ladies first, Julia, where's where's home? How long have you been at the Philadelphia Inquirer? Home is outside of Philly. I grew, I grew up in Lower Marion, Kobe Bryant's alma mater. I've been back in Philly. I worked in a couple other places before um, for almost, I think I'm going on nine years at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So 
earning earning some cred now. And I had a great time covering 2020. I think Jonathan can relate to this, you know, that the wind was taken a little out of our sails with the pandemic. It became covering a campaign via laptop or sometimes, you know, sometimes a very awkward and strange campaign event. Although the the Trump rallies felt like that we weren't in a pandemic. So happy to be back in the heat of things again. Definitely feels again like Pennsylvania is at the center of the universe. Like this is a Senate race that everyone's watching, a governor's race that every, you know, people are going to be watching. So it's just a great place to continue covering politics. Yeah. And so I, home originally for me is is North Jersey, up, up in the kind of suburbs of New York. And I covered Jersey local government, state government for a while. I've been at the Inquirer since 2008, covered state government, state Jersey state government for the Inquirer. I covered the Philadelphia Eagles for a few seasons, which was a lot of fun. And then I've been down in DC now almost a decade. I moved down to DC in 2012, covering Congress and and now national politics. And so I've covered our our local house races. I covered the 2016 Senate race, as you mentioned, which, you know, I thought that was a crazy race at the time. And and little did I know, covered the 2020 presidential along with Julia. And and yeah, I, I totally agree with what Julia said, that it's exciting when the race you're covering and the state you're covering is is really on the front line. And even more so sometimes with the Senate race, because it is a state level race to begin with. And and you know, we take a lot of pride in the work we do in Pennsylvania. So it's a really intense time right now. But uh, it, it's also, you know, it's good to it's good to have a story that matters. So j- just curious, uh, providing some historical perspective. I mean, I think every election is a snapshot in time, obviously different personalities. But are there themes that you see are similar from two years ago, four years ago, or six years ago? Are you hearing the same kind of buzz phrases from your sources and from everyday voters. I'm not necessarily, but then again, I'm not a reporter. I'm not out there knocking on doors regularly. I think the big difference is having a Democratic incumbent in the White House. And I think that's a really big shift politically. Whereas, you know, two years ago, it was all about Donald Trump and and what people liked or didn't like about him. You know, now it's much more about Joe Biden and Trump is still there. He's still a factor, but he's not the sitting president. You know, he's not he doesn't have responsibility for the decisions that are affecting people right now. And so much more of the attention is on Biden for better or for worse, depending on where you sit. I think, you know, we are still seeing the parties, and I think this is playing out in these two primaries, kind of reorient themselves after the Trump presidency and trying to figure out what the approach is. Because for so many years, you know, everything was about Trump. Either you were with him or you were against him. Well, now again, he's not center stage. And so the Republicans need to figure out which parts of Trump they want to keep, which parts they might want to soften or alter that didn't work for them. And Democrats have to say kind of what they're for, if they're going to be more towards the left, if they're going to be more towards the center and and what they can do. That's not just a response to the president who was dominating the news for so long. So it's it's a Equally heated, uh, if not more heated, certainly more expensive on the Republican side in, in the Senate primary there. Give folks a sense. I mean, if you're a betting man or woman, uh, is President Trump going to endorse? And, and frankly, what does that endorsement mean uh, if it does happen? I mean, but what are, what are the themes that you're seeing uh, on their side? Uh, it does seem like one of the themes is how are we getting the president's endorsement in the final month? Uh, 
Yeah, that's definitely a major focus for those candidates. And it's interesting because we don't know, as you hinted, kind of how influential that will be. It might be that it's a case that's very influential with Republican voters, but hurts the candidate when it comes to the general election because Trump is not that popular with the wider electorate. But it might be that it puts somebody over the top in the general election. The candidates are certainly acting like it. Uh, what's notable in that race is just the sheer amount of money. I mean, the candidates are incredibly wealthy, including the two frontrunners, Mehmet Oz and David McCormick, just multi-multi-millionaires. And so how they try to kind of channel that working class voter that Trump tapped into so well, even though he himself is extremely wealthy, is, is one of the big questions. And if they can pivot more than he was able to, whoever is the nominee into the general election, I think it, it is what we're watching. But right now in the primary, yeah, it's a contest for Trump's support. It's a contest for his voters. And it's it's honestly, it, it's kind of a money contest. Like the amount of spending has really been the defining factor in that race uh, more than anything else. Well, I'll just say that their net worth is going to be a slightly bit smaller by the end of this election, whatever that might be, whether it's in May or November. Um, but it is remarkable, the amount of uh, spending that's happening. Uh, very historic. Well, you both have been super generous with your time, but I'm not going to let you go just yet. Give listeners a preview. You have um, you know, really an exciting opportunity in the final days of this campaign at the end of this month to uh, to grill the Democratic and Republican candidates on a similar debate stage to what we had at Muhlenberg. But so be really curious how you're preparing and you know, where, where, where folks can learn more about that debate? Well, it was helpful preparing by uh, watching what you all did at the last one. You know, I think we, so uh, we've got the uh, April 25th, we're going to be co-hosting a Democratic Senate primary debate. And then the very next day, April 26th, I think that one's a Tuesday as the Republican field. And Jonathan and I should both be involved, um, I think, throwing some questions at these candidates. I, I mean, we've been covering these races for going on a year. So I, I think we know a lot of the themes and a lot of the policy points that that we want to hit. It's always just a question of, you know, asking the question in a way that gets an actual answer out of folks and, you know, maybe giving some space to, for, to them to um, reflect on each other's positions in a, in a fair way. So where in the Commonwealth is this going to be? Oh, uh, Dickinson College in Carlisle. Oh, they're both, they're both going to be there in Carlisle. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. And then is this first come, first serve, or it's uh, not even in front of a live audience? Uh, I mean, or is it just people from the campus and the Cumberland County Democrats? And There's several media partners. If you go to, it's actually the Inquirer's investigative partner, Spotlight PA. They put out a... Um, there's a story online and it, it's, it lays out all the specifics, but there will be a live audience. I think it's, I don't know that it's open to the public though. I think it's kind of like campaigns have some people, the college has some people, and then some of the news orgs might have some, some folks, but I should know since we're co-hosting, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. We're more, we're more focused on the reporting at the moment. We'll figure out those details when we, <laughs> when we get a little closer and we're leaving that to the management, but definitely looking forward to being able to ask these candidates some questions and, you know, just hopefully pin down their positions on a few issues so voters can, can be as informed as, as possible. Final question to that point. I mean, what day by day, uh, I mean, in any campaign, there's, there's more little kernels that are dropped and folks learn a little bit more, but what, what do you both think are 
not to put you on the spot, but I will. What, what, what do you think are still kind of the big gaping holes of kind of where we don't know where these candidates stand, both the D's and the R's? I mean, there's so many policy issues that are swirling out there in our increasingly complicated world and, and certainly the nature of today's Washington. And I get it. Campaigns don't want to take a position on every single thing, every single vote that's before the Senate. But, you know, what's what's on your mind? That's kind of a big gaping hole of where these candidates stand. I'll say this is less of a policy position and, and just more, I think, of, of a political question, because I think on the Democratic side, we have a pretty decent sense of, of where they stand. You know, Fetterman's run before Lamb and Kenyatta just did the debate and, and they've been pretty accessible. Just, you know, Fetterman has run a couple of times, but he's never been the front runner in a big national race like this. And so now that his opponents are starting to throw some of his potential vulnerabilities at him, you know, does his image stand up to those questions? I think that's, for me, the really big question on the Democratic side is, does he get painted as being too liberal? Does the incident with the jogger turn off some voters who might not have heard of that before? And on the Republican side, there are a lot of, they, they have not been very specific, at least the two front runners on a number of questions. You know, I think for Oz, it's can he convince voters, Republicans, that he's actually conservative? And for McCormick, it's kind of like, what what is he all about? Because he's got a great resume, but he he seems to be running a very by the book campaign. And so what is kind of the substance that he's really trying to push for? And can he kind of stand out on his own beyond all the TV ads he's throwing? Those those are some of the questions that I'm looking for as, as the candidates hopefully get more engaged here in the final weeks. So, Julia, same uh, same question. You'll have the uh, the final word. Yeah, I don't mean to to dodge, but um, I think, uh, you know, on the Democratic side, they are very much aligned on most of the big issues. They've kind of laid out, you know, uh, Kenyatta tends to be a little more progressive on certain issues like more fracking restrictions and, you know, expanding the Supreme Court and other kind of little things that I don't think are things that voters are necessarily necessarily going to vote on. So I, I will be paying attention to, you know, do Fetterman's vulnerabilities or the the claims that he has these big vulnerabilities stick? And also maybe, you know, do they start talking about some things or elevating some things that they haven't been talking about? For a state where Philadelphia is the biggest city, you know, in in we haven't seen that much campaigning in Philly. There's a forum, I think, next week on gun violence. You know, how do the Democrats talk about gun violence and differentiate themselves there? And how does Fetterman, again, you know, talk about it in given his the 2013 incident? So I'll be curious to see kind of what we hear that's new in the final weeks and, yeah, how some of the, the attacks are, are sticking or aren't sticking in people's minds. Well, thanks both for your time, for your perspective. And, you know, I'll just say, look, the world is really witnessing what the stark difference between democracy and autocracy and and what defines our democracy as a robust uh, free press. So thank you guys for what you're doing day in and day out. Thank you, Ari. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing. And while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website, papoliticspodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.